The big question that we've been asking over the last couple of weeks is this. Can something good come out of a time that's dark? Let me remind you where we've been in the story of the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth, the story begins at the end of the book of Judges. We went through the book of Judges, and Ruth is like the tail end of the book of Judges, because the first line of the book of Ruth said, in the time of the Judges. And so we need to remember just a little bit of what the judges were. We finished the book of Judges, and man, that was a dark time. It was a difficult time. And the book of Judges ends with two stories that just make you shake your head and make you say, oh my goodness, can people be that messed up? Can people be that oblivious? Can people do the things they think is right and have it all fall down on just incredible tragedy? The book of Judges ends in a way that just makes us shake our heads. And it has this one line that is very important. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The idea was that people were just doing what they thought was right, but it got all messed up. When we come to the book of Ruth, you're already in that mindset of things being messed up. And the opening line says, that in those days, in the days of the judges, Israel had a famine. And there was a man named Elimelech who took his family to the land of Moab. And immediately you get this idea that it's a dark time. It's the time of the judges. It's the time of a famine. And now it's the time where Elimelech takes his family to a foreign country, to the land of Moab. Then, in the land of Moab, Elimelech dies. And their two sons marry Moabite women. And then after 10 years, those two guys die. And so here's Naomi, the wife, left with her two daughters-in-law. And for 10 years, these daughters have not had any children. They've been barren for those 10 years. And so it's like everything bad that could happen has happened. It's a time of incredible darkness, a time of incredible sadness. And so when God brings food back to the land of Israel, Naomi begins to decide that it's time for her to go back home. And if she's going to be miserable, at least she should be miserable back home than in this foreign land. She goes home, and Ruth tags along with her, one of her daughters-in-law. The other one goes home to her family, but Ruth stays with her. And she's tagging along, and you might think, that's a great thing, now Naomi's not alone. But in fact, Naomi saw it as a bad thing because there's one more mouth to feed. And Naomi, even when she comes back to the land of Israel, people surround her and they're like, Naomi, we're so glad to see you here again. And Naomi says, don't call me that anymore. Naomi was a name that meant blessed. Naomi was a name that meant refreshed. Call me Mara, a name that means bitter, because I went away full and God brought me back empty. But the book of Ruth is a book of redemption. Let me give you the definition one more time of what redemption is. Redemption is when God takes something lost, broken, or threatened and brings it back to wholeness. Naomi was definitely a lost, broken, and threatened person. But so was Ruth. This little tiny family that went away from Israel with all these guys, came back with just two women. 
And Naomi's words are profound and sad when she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now here is the big issue for you and for me. We believe that God is capable of doing good things. But we face a world of hardship and difficulty. We believe that God is a God of goodness. He wants to do good things. But we see a world that is filled with darkness and hardship. And maybe you yourself have experienced that. Maybe you started 2020 feeling full, optimistic. This is the year good things are going to happen. But maybe you're at a place right now where you're just feeling empty. I know people who have lost loved ones, and a couple weeks ago was their first Thanksgiving without that family member. I know people who have lost jobs and, and found other kinds of hardships in their lives, and this has been a rough year. But the fascinating thing is that we can say this no matter how good things look. God is up to something good. The past couple of weeks, we have been looking at this book to recognize that even though Naomi and Ruth are seeing their hardship, God was up to something good behind the scenes in all of it. In fact, last week we noticed that Naomi had a ray of light strike her life so brightly that even she began to realize that God was up to something good. She says, after she finds out that Ruth met a man named Boaz, a man who treated Ruth nicely. Naomi says, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And the he here we concluded last week is God himself. Naomi is saying, God has not stopped showing kindness to both the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. In other words, he is a man who could step into their circumstances and solve their problems and solve their difficulty. And so, Naomi finally gets a little bit of excitement that God might be up to something good. Well, here we go. We're now going to finish the book. We did chapters one and two last couple of weeks. Today, we're going to do three and four. We're going to finish up the book, and we might as well just get going with it. I'm going to read it all to you. Here we go. Beginning in chapter three, verse one, it says, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. We've already covered that. Naomi already told Ruth that, but she's now got a strategy, a plan. And she says, tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, this already is an interesting thing for her to do. This is Naomi telling Ruth, by the way, that guy who was so nice to you, that guy that you've been working in his fields, that guy, he's tonight going to get himself happy and drunk. And I want you to go to where he is after he has finished eating and drinking. Now, of course, the question is, how good of a man is Boaz? 
Is Boaz a man of self-control or is Boaz a man of celebration? And when he gets in the mood to celebrate, he just goes all in. We don't know, but this idea of Ruth going at nighttime to meet a man who's just finished eating and drinking is scary. But see what it says next. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, for mother-in-law to tell her daughter-in-law to follow this strategy might seem interesting or weird to you. It does to me. But it also seems very threatening, very suspect. Ruth has a job to uncover the man's feet and lie down next to him. Um, It has been widely commented, if you have a Bible that has notes in it or if you've ever read a commentary, it's been widely commented that in ancient times, the word feet was a euphemism for more of a central region of a man's body rather than the... um, exterior region of the man's limbs. And so the idea of her going at nighttime when he has finished eating and drinking and uncovering his feet and lying down next to him, waiting for him to tell you what to do, is a threatening thing for Ruth to do. It's a risky thing for her to do. It really depends on whether or not this is a good man, and we're not exactly sure what Naomi is asking Ruth to do. We know what Ruth does, and this is really interesting, because what Ruth actually does is she takes this whole plan, and she slightly reinterprets it, and whether Naomi intended something sexual or maybe Naomi just intended uncovering his literal feet, we don't know. What we know is how the situation turned out. And Naomi's plan was one thing. Ruth's execution was slightly different. Take a look at it with me. Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. Ruth answered, so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, notice the narrator wants us to know that Boaz was feeling kind of good at this time. He's in good spirits. He went down over, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And this is one of those cases where we know what Ruth actually did was probably, almost certainly, uncovering his literal feet. Because when he notices there's something going on, he notices there's a woman lying at his feet. And it makes the most sense for us to conclude that this feet here is literal feet. In other words, she took Naomi's word at face value. She did it exactly the way Naomi said. And by uncovering his feet in the middle of the night, he clearly would have woken up at some point from having cold feet. Anyway, she uncovers his feet, lies down next to his feet, and he says, who are you? Because it's dark. He can't see. And she says, I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. 
And in this line here, she does something that Naomi didn't tell her to do. Remember, Naomi said, let him tell you what to do. But Ruth actually tells him what she wants him to do. Spread your garment over me since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, I already mentioned to you that feet could be a euphemism for something else, but actually, the more interesting word in this entire passage is the word garment. And the reason the word garment is interesting here is that there are two special meanings that you need to understand from this. One is metaphorical and one is linguistic. I'm going to start with the linguistic one first. The word garment comes from the Hebrew word kanap or kanaf. And that one word doesn't just mean garment, it also means a covering, like a covering of a bird or an insect who might be covering themselves with their wings. And so kanap or kanaf means garment, but it could also mean wing. So here's Ruth, she says to Boaz, cover me with the corner of your garment. Cover me with your kanap. Cover me with your wing. The reason that's significant is that just in the previous chapter, Boaz was praising Ruth for something. Do you remember what he said? Boaz said to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The word used here would be kanap, the same word. Boaz says to Ruth earlier on in chapter 2, Boaz says to her, you have come to take refuge under the covering of God. And here's Ruth lying at his feet saying, cover me with your covering. Cover me with your blanket. In other words, Ruth is basically saying, Boaz, I see you as the fulfillment of God in my life. Boaz, I see you as the gift of God in my life. Boaz, I see you as the fulfillment of your very own blessing. I have come to take refuge under the wings of God. And so, Boaz, I'm here now to take refuge under the wings of Boaz. She's putting herself at his mercy in more ways than one. She's there at his mercy. First of all, it's late at night. He's not the only man around. She is not in her home. She is outside late at night where men have been drinking, late at night where men have been partying. She is putting herself at a great deal of risk by being out there at this time in those days. Then she goes right next to this man named Boaz and she directly gives him access to her presence there. Now, she's uncovered his feet. She's lying right down next to him. Who knows if he's going to be a good man or not? She doesn't know the whole story. She's taking a huge risk. But the second thing that is risky about this is that it's not just her saying, I've now come to ask you to be God's blessing in my life. She is making a reference to a cultural thing that was done back then that was highly important for a man to do. Check this out. 
It says in Ezekiel chapter 16, God is speaking to the people of Israel and he says, later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. God is using a marriage metaphor to say how devoted he is to the people of Israel. Israel. He says, when you needed something, I came into your life and I rescued you and I named you mine. But he's using a marriage metaphor to do this. And the marriage metaphor is when you needed covering, I brought the covering and I spread the corner of my garment over you. This is a concept that was done frequently where a man would cover over a woman with a garment claiming that she now belonged to him as his wife. It's not a possessive thing. It's not a slavery thing. It's a nurturing thing, a covering thing, a caring thing. And what Ruth has just done to Boaz is to specifically say, Boaz, ask me to marry you. In other words, she's proposing to him. She says, Boaz, it's your chance. Ask me to marry you. Ruth was taking a huge risk, a risk to be there late at night, and a risk to initiate a proposal with Boaz. Women don't do that. That's such a forward thing for a woman back then to do. How absolutely presumptuous. She's taking a risk. Is Boaz a good man or not? Is he going to take advantage of her or is he going to care for her? It's a big question and Ruth is taking a big risk. Let's see what Boaz does. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. The earlier kindness was her kindness to Naomi, an old woman. And now the kindness is to Boaz. You have not run after the younger men whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. And before I go any farther, let us just acknowledge the fact that Boaz has said, you have not run after the younger men, which means he is older than she should be with. He is so much older than she is that it makes more sense for her to go after a younger man. Of any sort, whether rich or poor, it doesn't matter. He's so much older than her that she should be going after a younger person no matter who the younger person is. But somehow, she has decided to propose to him. I think it's pretty clear in this story that Boaz has feelings of love and respect and care and concern for Ruth. And I know that he's a good man in this story because he says, I'm going to do all that you ask, but keep going. It says, all the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. Two things are going on here. One, he says, Ruth, everybody who knows you knows how noble you are, and I'm not going to, dis I'm not going to uh, destroy that reputation. 
Ruth, you have come to me late at night when I've been drinking, but guess what? You are safe here. Everyone knows you are a person of noble character, and I'm not going to change that. But secondly, he says, I'm a man of noble character because there is another redeemer, another relative closer to your family than I, and so we have to talk to him first. He says this, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. He says, listen, it's not safe for you to get up and go anywhere else. Just stay right here so that I can continue to protect you until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. But got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He's like, don't tell anybody that you were here because I want to preserve your reputation and people are going to get weird ideas if they find out that you were lying down next to me all night. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, she poured, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. He said, okay, as a kind of promise to you of how much I care for you, I'm going to give you so much barley that you can barely make it home. Go ahead. And he sends her on her way and he goes back home. Ruth took a major major risk in coming to do this thing with Boaz. And Boaz responds as a man of noble character should, with care and concern, and he's even willing to sacrifice some of his own reputation and wealth to try to make sure that she is taken care of. Let's finish up Ruth's side of the story. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Do you remember what Naomi said when she first came back to Israel? She said, I went away full and I have come back empty. And Boaz is here saying to Ruth, don't let your mother-in-law ever have empty hands again. You're with me now. Don't go back empty-handed. So Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And so, chapter 3 ends with Naomi's scheme and Ruth's execution. And now the last remaining question. What is Boaz going to do? How is he going to keep his promise? Is he going to keep his promise? Let's see. Moving right along, we get to chapter 4. It says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Bethlehem was not a large town. And so Boaz could just wait at the city gate until that guy came by. And so he did. He came by. He says, Okay, we got to talk about something. Boaz also took 10 of the elders of the town. He gathered them somehow. And he said, Sit here. And they did so. So then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Okay, hold on just a second. 
Naomi isn't actually selling the land. Naomi owns land that can't be used because she can't farm it. And there's no one else who will farm land that doesn't belong to them. And so the Redeemer transaction, Boaz portrays as a sale. We don't know if it actually required an exchange of money for the Redeemer transaction to happen. We don't know the the logistics of the Redeemer transaction. What we know is that this man is the qualified redeemer and Boaz starts by talking about the land. Because after all, who wouldn't want more land? If you've got an opportunity to get more land, who wouldn't want it? The more land you have, the more you can farm, the more wealth you can accumulate. And so Boaz starts there. But he's taking a risk. What happens if this guy buys the land? What happens if this guy does choose to redeem Ruth? Well, it might be good for Ruth because this guy seems like he might be a younger guy. I don't know. Somehow he's a closer relative. I don't know the details of the relationships, but I do know this. Boaz, I think he wants to marry Ruth. I think he loves her. And so he's taking a risk here. He's doing the right thing, but it's still a risk. He gives this other guy the chance. He says, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggested that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me. So I will know. Boaz is like, if you want to redeem it, then it's yours to redeem first. But if you don't want it, let me know because I'm eager. (laughs) He says this, for no one has the right to do it except you and I'm next in line. I want to do it. I'm ready to go. And the man says, I will redeem it. Do you suppose Boaz got a little sad right then? The process of redemption is being undertaken by this other man. Well, see, Boaz started with the land because he has the the real thing in his back pocket. You see, the, the thing about Ruth is that if the Redeemer marries Ruth, That has legal implications that go way beyond just the purchase of more land. Purchasing land is an easy acquisition. Getting land, doing the Redeemer thing for the land is an easy acquisition. But Ruth causes some additional legal problems. Boaz saved that until the end, and now he brings it up to this guy. Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth. And Boaz does a couple things here that are just really important. There are things that Boaz does to try to remind the man how difficult this whole thing is going to be. He says, you also acquire Ruth. Remember, she's a Moabite. Remember, she's from Moab. And so you are going to let a foreigner enter into your family if you do this. You acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow. Now, every widow is a dead man's widow, okay? Let us just remember that. Every widow is a dead man's widow. The only reason for him to say the dead man's widow is to remind the next guy that she still belongs to the dead man. How how do I know that? Read what he says next. He says, in order to maintain the name of the dead with whose property? His property. 
You see, what Boaz is saying to the guy is, now let's remember how redeemership works. When you redeem the land, you also get the bride. You get the wife. And when you marry her, she is still married to the original man until an heir is born. You will have a child with Ruth. Ruth will then have that child in the name of her first husband, and the child will inherit the land under the name of the first husband. And so your children don't get it. That child is going to get it. And so if you marry Ruth, her inheritance is now tied to the dead man. You're getting the property, but only temporarily. Because if she ever has a kid, then that kid gets that property so that the name of the dead can stay with his property, not yours. Now, of course, we already talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is a risky thing. You are bringing in the potential for your own inheritance and your own children to be suffering by the fact that your inheritance is now getting watered down among multiple families. And so the guy changes his mind. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal to prove that this is a done deal. Legal, it's over, there's no more debate to be had. He is now giving his right to Boaz. Now there's a question here. Why does Boaz not feel threatened like this other man does? Boaz is a wealthy man, he's got land. Why does he not feel threatened? Well, I think the only conclusion we can draw is that Boaz has never been married. Or if he has been married, she is now dead and he has no children. The only conclusion we can draw is that Boaz, because he has not mentioned it, it's not been talked about at all here in the story in any of the chapters, our conclusion must be that Boaz is an old man who's not married and has never had kids. That's a dark situation. Ruth has never had kids. Boaz had never had kids, and now the two of them are coming together in in a weird sort of marital relationship. There is a, a ray of hope, yes, but there's also this dark cloud hanging over their relationship. Nonetheless, Boaz declares that he is going to do the Redeemer work. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people today, your witnesses, that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Boaz says, I'm stepping in to do something for these other people so that that family line can be maintained. Boaz is taking a huge personal risk. He took a risk by bringing it up to this other guy. He took a huge personal risk to put his own property in jeopardy by doing this redeemership thing. But guess what? He took a risk because he knew it was the right thing to do. 
Boaz took a risk to do what's right. When times are dark, it's even more difficult to do what's right. Because when times are dark, you feel like you need every little bit of light you can get. Ruth was a ray of light in Boaz's life. And yet, he still took the risk to lose her by doing what was right and talking to this other redeemer. Ruth had things going okay with her and Naomi and just leaving the relationship with Boaz where it was. She was getting all the food she needed to support herself and Naomi. She didn't need to take this additional risk. And sometimes when life is dark, you want to just hold on to the light that you have. But she took the risk anyway. And so the question is, if Ruth took this risk and Boaz took this risk and it seemed to have worked out for Boaz, what's God doing in the midst of it all? What is God doing behind the scenes? Well, there's a weird thing that shows up at the very end of this story with Boaz talking to the town elders. It says this, Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Rachel and Leah together with their concubines had 12 sons for Jacob. And now these guys are saying, may your family also have tons and tons of children But see what it says. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Why would they mention that story? The story of Perez and Tamar and Judah is an incredibly dark story. It's one of my least favorite stories in the entire Old Testament because of just what the people do in it. I'm not going to read you the whole passage, but I'll just narrate for you a little bit of what this Tamar and Perez and Judah story is. It starts when Judah has a son named Ur, and he finds a woman named Tamar, and he gets them married. Well, Ur isn't a very honorable man, and we are told in the scripture that God kills him. We don't know why. We don't know what happened with Ur, why God killed him, but God killed Ur. So now here's Tamar, and she's a widow, and Ur is dead. And because of the Redeemer clause in the law, we know that now Judah is supposed to take one of his other sons and give that other son to Tamar. And so he does. He takes his son named Onan. And he gives Onan to Tamar so that Tamar can have a child with Onan. And then that child will carry on the name of Ur, the dead man. And so here's Tamar and Onan. But Onan refuses to have a child with Tamar. And as a result, God kills Onan. 
Now Onan is dead, and Tamar is still facing a, this widow situation again, and Judah has one more son. He's got another son named Shelah, but we are told that Judah doesn't want to have another son die, and so Judah doesn't give Shelah to Tamar. Instead, he tells Tamar to go home and live with her family, and then he promises when Shelah is old enough, I'll let you have him as your husband, but he never follows through. Shelah grows old and he gets married and never goes over to Tamar. And so you know what Tamar does? Tamar dresses up like a prostitute. And one day Judah is walking through her town and he sees Tamar and doesn't recognize her and he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant and has two sons. One of them is twin sons and one of them is named Perez. So Tamar actually has a child with Judah and they have a child that is named Perez. The thing is that in this story, in the book of Ruth, at the very end of it, the people say, may you be like Tamar and Judah who gave birth to Perez. As if that's such a great story for them to be telling. And on the one hand, it's just absolutely sad and gross and disgusting that that story happened. But on the other hand, Perez was their ancestor. Because these people living in Bethlehem, their ancestor was Perez, which meant their ancestor was Judah, which meant their ancestor was Tamar, which meant that a disgraced and rejected widow was their ancestor. What an interesting and appropriate thing to say in the book of Ruth. A foreign woman who gets married to a man who dies, who desperately needs a redeemer to step up and to redeem her from her circumstance. And in the story of Judah and Tamar, it's through the intrigue of a woman getting a man to sleep with her. But in the story of Ruth, it's through the integrity of a woman And the man that she approaches, that these people now say, may you, because you've done everything right, still experience the same kinds of blessings that came through this line of ancestry. Let's finish it up. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. At this point in the story, we see Boaz does something, Ruth does something, and it happened because the Lord made it happen. Naomi had a plan. Ruth played her part. Boaz played her part. But the part that God played was even better. Because God's part of this plan involves something that at this point seems nice. But it gets even better. Take a look. May he become famous throughout Israel, the women say to Naomi. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him.
And here's the story coming to an end. And we see God stepping into the midst of this story, and he begins to bring things around. Ruth and Boaz are now married. God enables Ruth, who went for 10 years without any children while being married to the previous guy, and now she's with Boaz, and she is enabled to conceive. God empowered a miracle of conception here for Boaz, this old man, and Ruth to have a child. And the story ends with Naomi and her arms full. She says, I went away full, now I came back empty because all I've got is this Moabite woman with me, but Moabite woman named Ruth is better than seven sons. And Naomi is now holding this baby in her arms because God has brought everything to conclusion, because God has redeemed the darkness of this story, because God has done something for this little family that only God could do. It's redemption. God took this broken family. God took this threatened family God took these people who all of them were in some measure of distress and darkness and he redeemed it. He brought it back to wholeness. But he didn't just stop there. You see, what God does in the story of Ruth is way better than just making things a little bit better than they were before. You see, It began with the story of Judges, right? And in the story of Judges, over and over it said, in the days of the Judges, Israel had no king. And all of the messed up stuff we saw in the days of the Judges was because Israel had no king, no good leader, no authority who would lead them in the ways of God. They had no king, and life was dark and dismal. And then it got even worse when the famine came. And then it got even worse when this little family had to leave town. And then it got even worse when the men died. And then it got even worse when they had to come back. And now there's another mouth to feed. And there's a little ray of hope and a little light that shines. And now it's like, yes, God has saved this little family. But you don't even know the half of it because God had an even bigger plan in mind for the whole thing. Check this out. The women living there said to Naomi, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, which means servant. He's someone who is going to serve people, particularly serve Naomi. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. In those days, Israel had no king. And the journey to get from no king to great king King David walked through a lot of darkness. You need to know that God didn't just redeem that one little family. He redeemed that whole nation through that one little family. Through that one little family and their little journey through darkness, God redeemed the whole nation. But it gets even better. Because the way the book of Ruth ends is with the thing that most people hate about the Old Testament, a genealogy. But this is one you need to know. Check it out. It says, this then is the family line of Perez. Perez, well, you know what? 
Putting it in a paragraph form like this makes it really difficult for you to see the journey of what's happening. So I'm going to change it. I'm going to rearrange the lines so that they all balance each other. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. And you don't know any of these names, and that's fine. You know the name of Perez, though, right? Whose mom was Tamar, the lady who pretended to be a prostitute, who slept with her father-in-law because the other men that God had put in her life had also been killed by God. Ram You don't know any of the other names, but you know Perez's name, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz. Yeah, you know that name. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. It goes from Perez, this child from that weird relationship between Tamar and Judah. It goes from him straight down through David. And what you find is that God has the power to take the darkness of this family and redeem it for something great. In those days, Israel had no king, but the journey from no king to great king went through a deep, dark period, but that's okay because God has the power to redeem even that. But I told you that you needed to know this genealogy. Do you want to know why? Because I'm going to show you another passage in the Bible that has the same genealogy. In fact, this other passage is so exact, I'm going to slowly fade from this genealogy to the other genealogy. And you will see the blue text change, and you will see two lines show up here, and nothing else will change. Okay, here we go. Here comes the slow fade. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, a prostitute who lived in the city of Jericho. When the walls came down, Rahab and her family survived. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, a woman from Moab who lost her husband, never had children came to Israel, uncovered a man's feet in the middle of the night. But he was a good man. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And that's from Matthew. Why would Matthew want us to know this genealogy? Well, you've probably figured it out. Because it's the family line of Joseph and Mary. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. You see, the story of Ruth is the story of God walking with a family through a time of incredible darkness. Because he's not just in it to redeem that little family. And he's not just in it to redeem that nation that needs a king. He's in it to redeem the whole world. 2020 has been a mess of a year. And maybe you have felt like 2020 has been a year of darkness and a year of frustration and a year of sadness. But you need to know that there is a God 
who uses the darkness of a little family to not just bring redemption and joy to them, but through them, and they couldn't have imagined this. It was beyond their wildest imaginations, beyond their wildest dreams, beyond their craziest conceiving of any idea whatsoever. They could not have predicted that God was going to use their tiny, broken little family to save the world. I don't know what God's going to do in and through us because of 2020. I don't. I don't know what God has been trying to do in our hearts during this dark period, and I don't know what he's going to be doing out of it, but I know this. There is a God who walks with little families through times of darkness because he's got a plan to redeem the whole world. So stick with him. Stick with God. He can redeem anything and anyone, and he can bring light to any darkness. In those days, Israel had no king. And the journey from no king to great king to savior of the world walked through very deep periods of darkness. But God, the God of the light of the world, God, the God of redemption, God, the God of salvation, is a God who is not afraid to walk with you through the times of darkness because he has a plan for redemption for you, for your little family, for us, for our little family, for this entire world. I hope that this Christmas season, The light of the world is even more precious to you because you can see that God is the God who walks with people through the darkness to redeem everything. And whatever you've lost and whatever you have felt like you have lost over this past year, whatever you feel like you are losing now over this Christmas season, I just want to encourage you that there is a God who is the God of redemption, the God of light. Stick with him. And he can bring it all around into something more beautiful than you can imagine. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.